Good point. Hey, hey, hello to the world. Hello, everybody. Greetings to the universe. This is Cam, and this is still the Real Resilience Talk Pocket. This is episode 36 coming at y'all. Episode 36. And uh, I told y'all, man, I was going to have an amazing guest on the show, but I'm going to get to that. I got I got something good for y'all today. We got something good for y'all today. Um, again, let me go ahead and leave before anybody tries to fucking cancel me in 2024. This is not a reflection or an endorsement by any official organization to include the DOD or the USMC or any other thing we may reference to our experience in life. We all got day jobs. We all got obligations we do professionally, but this is us speaking personally. First Amendment, I represent it. I defend it, so I shall use it um, to try to get some good things out there. As I always tell you, you might hear some bad words on this show because I don't got that good of vocabulary, but I hope with the content and with the subjects that we're speaking on, you hear some good words as well. So with all that said up front, um, and again, we sponsored by nobody and I'll never monetize this shit, but I do have the pleasure and privilege uh, on this show this evening to uh, be in the presence of uh, a, a warrior, a veteran, um, an author of, I told y'all about this book, man, A Journey of Self-Discovery Amidst the Afghanistan War, uh, summer 2009, written by the Andrew Coville. Everybody give it up for Mr. Andrew Coville. Yeah. I'm an MC sometimes too, so I, I, that's just in me, man. How you doing this evening, brother? Good, Cam. How you doing? Appreciate you having me on. Hey, I appreciate you being here, dude. Um, you know, as I as I like, I, we were talking a little bit before, man. If if you if we are alive today, then on the subject of resilience, we all got something to say. So I'm gonna jump right out at it, man. Mr. Author, Mr. I mean, you you pull a surprise coming your way, man. That shit is brilliant. But jumping out <laughs> appreciate of appreciate that. Oh, for sure, dog. You're welcome, man. And I, that's a that's a sign to everybody out there, man. You know, if you admire somebody, you should go ahead and tell them because people never get the roses while they can still smell them. So gratitude is a hell one hell of a motherfucking drug. Y'all see me posting shit about Rumi all the time. Go on. Gratitude is wine for the soul. Go on. Get drunk. Right. Um, but coming out the gate at you, man, swinging with my only scripted question, the whole fucking show that I ever do is the subject of resilience. Um, people ask me what I say. They don't tired of me. I even got in the fucking backdrop in the video right there. Everybody you his you can get hit and keep moving forward. Right. That's the long <laughs> shit. But enduring, yeah. being water, my friend. I got Bruce Lee back there, too. But to you, my brother and all you've been through and, and the amazing life you've led and, and being a survivor and, and thriver and victor, you are. What is resilience to you? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think resilience to me is being in a bad situation or one that you might not want to be in and finding a way out of it and accepting that you're in that situation and just having at least a plan to move forward, not, um, existing in that state of victimhood, so to speak, where you're just like, you know, okay, I'm in this, this is what it is. Let's find a way out and let's find a way to get through it. And, and that's, that's really it. I mean, you could apply that to any situation and, any context too. And, you know, it could be um, a quick fix to it, or it could be a long-term thing that takes years to overcome it. But as long as you're in that mindset of, right, I'm moving forward every day, no matter what, whether it's small steps, you know, big steps, small victories, small ones, or big ones, you're, you're still moving forward. That's right. I love it, man. Moving forward. Keep moving forward. And I, I also cite up in here, I'm a big fan of Sam Cooke and his music and, and gone too soon, like many other great humans in our history of our world. But he said that song, keep moving on, man. You just got to add up your day and you just got to keep moving on, you know. And, um, and and a big thing in that, and especially the message that I try to sprinkle in here every episode, because um, I think with any audience, but especially with veterans and Marines specifically, I have a mentor mighty say, if you ain't said it in 60 days, you ain't said that shit at all. <laughs> like, because we forget shit 
and, and we tend to, you know, we got to reiterate healthy reiteration goes a long way. Um, but with that is, is saying that it's okay not to be okay, but you still got to move forward and don't be a victim, be a victor over life. And I see uh, from your writing, telling y'all, man, y'all got to check it out, man. Um, that's what you've done so far, man. And, and how do you just maintain that for you? And now, you know, you, what you've been out cause only us and inmates say, get out. We've been out, right? Nobody else, nobody else leaves Costco or like fucking blockbuster or some shit or McDonald's is like, I'm getting out. Only us and inmates say that shit. So since you've been getting out and maintain and having resilience, how, how's, how's some ways that you've been maintaining it over these years, man? Yeah. I mean, I've been out for I'm going on 15 years now, which is three times as long as I was even in. I just did it's four like years. old head. It's crazy to think about. I mean, I've been a police <laughs> officer now for, I'm going on 13 years and that's three times longer than I was in the Marine Corps. So it's, it was a long time ago, but it doesn't, it feels like a long time ago at the same time. It feels like yesterday. Um, but to answer your question, how do I keep moving forward? It's, there's a lot to that. Um, you know, I think that we all have some form of anxiety on some level when it comes to life. And I think life itself is anxiety. The fact we know that it's finite, the fact we know it's ending at some point, how could that not cause you to worry and wonder, am I getting the most out of this and have those thoughts? But the question then becomes, okay, am I going to direct that energy and that worry to something good to maximize my time? Or am I going to just exist in this state of dread and think, all right, my, you know, things, all these ups and downs of life are coming. I don't know how I'm going to handle them. And it's, for me, it's just an everyday thing. I have stuff I do to keep myself in order, like the gym, meditating, writing, reading positive things. And it's just, it's a constant work in progress. And, you know, it's not, I look at it like some days you win it, the battle, and some days you lose the battle, but you're always in it. And there's some days where you wake up and you feel like you're at a deficit, like, oh, I'm just, I'm behind the eight ball. How do I get myself up there? And if that's going to the gym and getting a good workout in and really pushing yourself and getting into that state where you feel like, okay, I could deal with this or whatever it is that you got to do, you just, you find something that's your thing that you can have as a release and you just, you try to stick to that. So, you know, when you have those self-doubts, those anxieties, whatever you have, you know, you have the tools to at least deal with them and move forward. You don't just let them overcome you. And it's, you know, life's hard for everybody. It's, it's, yeah. it's can be a battle. It's, there's a lot of ups and downs, peaks and valleys, but you know, the one thing that's a fact for all of us is that it is going to end at some point and you got to, we won't get out of this alive. That's for sure. Yeah. And you got to find some way to, to just constantly be moving forward, to constantly find purpose, to, to progress in life, to whatever that means to you. And it, you just, yeah. you, you got to do it. Yeah. What I, what I love too, man, and talking to y'all, to, to you specifically right now, and I want all of y'all to understand that, and y'all hear me talk a lot about external, going external, don't go internal. Now, we all got to take time to reflect. We all got to take time to kind of, you know, marinate on some things, meditate, however we want to put it, journal, all those kind of things. But there's something about going external. And I see that with you in serving in Iraq, in Afghanistan, as a United States Marine, and then coming out of that, and then now you said, you, you've been as a police officer serving your community three times as long as that, like that external service. And then not only that, man, but you came along and took this book, took your experiences, took your pain and you put it on paper to share with people. And it's so powerful that when any human takes to me a mess of, you know, and makes it a message or takes a test, makes it a testimony. And you can tell through reading it, man, you didn't just go through all that shit. You grew through all of it and you're honoring those who have fallen before us, but 
when I, when I read it, that's what I take away. And that's what I see from your example, right? From your ductus exemplo, leadership by example in Latin. But when you got to over these years and writing the book and what, what was the main motivator for you in, in wanting to put these feelings on paper when it comes to the book and your backstory? Well, it took a long time to face all of that in a way that was productive. I mean, it was, um, a big part of my life for, you know, for those who haven't read the book, it's, it's, it's the short version is, is about me and my friend, Nick Exaros, who, um, joined the Marines together right out of high school, left immediately after we graduated, went to Paris Island on June 19th, 2006. Uh, we were stationed on Camp Lejeune together. We went to different battalions. He was initially in first battalion, ninth Marines. I was in a second light armored recon where I stayed for my whole four years. Uh, we both went to Iraq in 2008, but to different places with different units. <clears throat> and then we came back. We were on Camp Lejeune again with each other. Um, in 2009, Obama wanted to start the the big troop surge down to the Helmand province to essentially take back what the British had lost from it because the opium trade was getting totally out of control and the Taliban were just running freely and amassing a lot of funds and weapons and just kind of having free reign of the territory. So they put together a, a Marine Expeditionary Brigade, which is, you know, a very large amount of Marine sailors and uh, army combined <clears throat> that went down to take back the Helmand province. And my battalion, second light armored recon deployed, and um, when Nick found that out, he didn't. He wanted to go too and get in on it. So he got a transfer to Second Battalion, Eighth Marines, because he had some connections over there from when he was in Iraq and had done a um, relief in place with them. And he ended up going too. So we go to uh, Afghanistan. In the process of that, Nick ends up getting killed by an improvised explosive device. Um, I end up going home in the middle of the deployment to say goodbye to him and and um, deal with all that. And then I went back to Afghanistan finished up the deployment, came home and, and went back to uh, Camp Lejeune. But in the process of all that, I, I kept a journal and I was just writing down my thoughts, feelings, what I was going through at the time. And with no foresight or intention of, all right, I'm going to do something with this later or anything. I just, it was just an outlet. That's all it was, right. was I just felt like I got to document these things that are happening. Um, I get out of the Marines, you know, have a very difficult time initially transitioning because you go from that identity of being Marine infantry and all this stuff. And it took a lot of years to get past that. And a lot, you know, a big part of the help was becoming a police officer and finding that sense of purpose again. But a couple of years ago, I um, was going through just Marine Corps stuff from when I was in memorabilia and a footlocker in my basement. And I had the journal in there, which I knew was in there, but I started actually reading through it. And when I was reading through it, I just thought to myself, there's a story here I want to tell. And this is the story is this journal and these thoughts of a 21 year old kid in these situations uh, and how I perceived them and, and how it affected me. And I felt that the journal was almost like a, a time capsule or a time machine to that specific period in time. So that was what prompted me to start writing it. And then as I started writing it, it was almost like, the more I remembered, the more I remembered. So much stuff started coming back to me. And that was a whole process in itself going through putting that in writing and putting the story together as a whole, because there was a lot of moving parts to it. And there was a lot more too than just my friend Nick being killed. There was a whole deployment where other people were killed, other people in my unit. And there was just a lot. And it was, um, it was a process that I enjoyed a lot, but it was definitely not easy to go through. And then to also think that, okay, this is going to be released to the world. 
<laughs> you know, it's like right. most people, they write a journal and they're like, oh, I hope, I, you know, no one's ever going to see this. This is my most personal yeah. thoughts. And I thought to myself, all right, well, if I'm going to tell this story, it has to be through a sense of vulnerability in how much more vulnerable could you be than putting a journal out in the world? So that's facts. That's facts. That's, that's where it came from. And then I just wanted to write a story too, that people could relate to whether you're in the military, whether you're in the Marines or not, where it was just a story of a human experience of someone at a young age going through some stuff and what they learned from it and how it affected them at the time and how it affects them 15 years later as a grown adult. And I wanted it to really transcend uh, military themes. I wanted it to be able to apply to anybody who's been through something in their life because, you know, we all have our own Afghanistan. We all, right. everyone has their own traumas, their own upbringings, their own past, their own whatever. Mine just happened to be in the country of Afghanistan in the context of being a Marine. That's but right. that doesn't mean that that's any more impactful or any more important than somebody else's trauma that could be their version of Afghanistan. And my goal with the story was just to show hey, I'm just trying to be honest with myself and what I went through and how it affects me now. And maybe that'll inspire other people to do the same, whether they're a veteran or not, just sort of, uh, you know, I guess you could call it being strongly vulnerable, putting yourself out there in a way that's confident, but very transparent and very thought provoking. And it's so actually, I know that was a bit of a long answer to your no, question, man. but I'm, no, I'm, I'm all about it, man. I, I run no script here. I, I just want it coming from the heart. And that's, that's what you do, man. The, the thing that I love, is how relatable it is. And then you even speak, and I see you now, humble warrior, right? But you talk in page 44, and I mentioned this in the last episode, but how, you know, people in Vietnam will say, well, this ain't shit compared to the Korean conflict. Well, this, and people in Korea was like, this wasn't shit compared to World War II, and so on and so on down the line. And then we all do that, or you'll do that with a spouse. You'll say, yeah, or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You'll say, well, I didn't go through the same childhood they went through. I didn't go through the same thing. But what I, what I love right here is where you go, and I even wrote in here, wow, spot the fuck on. This could be one firefight, one IED blast, one mortar attack. If it causes you trauma, then that is all that matters. Comparing your experiences to that of another person does nothing to help you deal with your own, but it only minimizes them until they finally catch up with you. And and what to me, it's a message to anybody out there listening or anybody out there reading and whatever their trauma was or whatever their life has been, that if you don't deal with your shit, your shit will deal with you eventually. And you might as well, because it's it's you just got to it's the process, and you and you walk through the process of dealing with that. And and I just I I say big salute, man, and and for being vulnerable like that and sharing it and saying just the things you're sharing here is just is so deep, and and just how vulnerable and at risk you were uh, with so much of it. But to still say I'm gonna keep moving forward, but I gotta work this shit out, and that's not always pretty. Like, I'm sure it wasn't pretty the first time you opened up that journal and started going down those paths. And earlier, you also said 21-year-old kid, and he didn't say that in a sense like a child, but it, you're also a masshole, right? And so you say kid, and that's what y'all say out there, right? <laughs> you say oh, yeah. Kid. But we're all, like, 21 years old, we are literally kids because, like, what is it, 25 to 28 years old, the prefrontal cortex, all that kind of shit, you don't really mature into an actual adult. So, like, it's very fitting to tell the story of what a kid does and then going through that processing it and then getting to the man and the warrior you are and you're still serving in some way and big salute to you for that man i appreciate that man it means a lot to me thank you yeah and it, we were all kids at the time you know even the people who were potentially company commanders were probably not even 30 years old some of them that's right 
And it's now I'm 36 and I think about just the view I have on life and everything now compared to back then. And it's like, you have to have that tunnel vision to even be in that setting to be doing that stuff because you can't question it. You have to be just young and motivated to do it or else you'd just be like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem like a good idea maybe, or this is not a good idea, but you'd be more hesitant because you know so much more about life. You might not be quite as willing to put yourself in those positions and um, not out of fear of your own safety, but because of the other people in your life that you might hurt if something happened to you. That's something that it takes you getting older to realize how uh, precious of a thing life is and how precious of a thing love is and all these things. And when you're 21 years old and full of testosterone, you just want to shoot guns. You're not thinking about any of that. But that's how you're supposed to be back that back in those days, and you know that's what kind of makes the Marine Corps run in a, a lot of ways. And you know that more than anybody, as long as you've been in. That's you need that. That's the culture, and it's not a bad thing, and it's not um, a negative thing. It's just a reality of it, and and that mentality shifts when you get older, and then you start to reflect back on those times. And that's why it took me 15 years to write this story because I had to be the person I am now to look back at that and have the context and the insight to, to turn it into a story beyond, you know, what's just at face value. Yeah. No, it's, it's powerful, man. I mean, I'm telling y'all out there listening. Um, if anybody's like, Oh, what, what, what is a challenge and how does somebody get through it? Because the thing I took away from it the most, and I, and conveniently I say this on the show is that it's okay not to be okay. And like you say in here, if it bothers you, then it's a problem and you need to, uh, well, you didn't say need to, but if you don't address it, it's going to catch up to you, you know, and I'm sure we've both seen that with people we know. You can still be alive and breathing, but there's a lot of zombies that are still working through things or refuse to work through things in a healthy manner. Like you said earlier about them healthy outlets, those releases to help you move forward. And it's not always pretty and it's not always perfect. But like I used to have a mentality of and I'm sure it's just the American in me and the Marine in me and the perfectionist, but like searching for perfection. And then I got older and I had hindsight and I go, well, if somebody pitches something to me, is this going to make anything worse? No. All right, fuck it. I'll try it. Cause it might make it better. Right. And, and I think we have to come to that, uh, like expectation management in the process of knowing that it's okay not to be okay, but also applying some type of way out of it and to keep moving forward, as you said. Yeah. And we're all, everyone's messed up. Everyone's just trying to figure it out on some level. You know what I mean? Nobody has this thing called life figured out. So no, the more people try to convince themselves they do, the more they're just lying to themselves and they're, they're leading with ego instead of uh, honesty or they're trying to protect whatever self-image they have or, or I don't know. But the sooner you recognize those things in yourself, the sooner you can help someone else who might be going through the same thing. And that's, that's, so that's I've noticed that with this book, um, that's one of the biggest things that I was hoping to happen was other Marines, you know, friends of mine, whatever, reach out and be like, Hey, this is making me start to look at my stuff and really yes. think like, this is maybe it's time for me to tell my story. And that was my whole goal with this entire thing. That was, that was it was to just hope it relates to people veteran or not. And it gives them the ability to maybe do their version of the same thing. Yeah, no. It, it, I, and I say that to anybody who listens, cause this is not a niche like military or veteran type podcast or whatever. This is for anybody and everybody. Cause we're talking about the subject of resilience and speaking from a Marine who said it best to me is, and I think it applies to all of us as human beings. He said, General Neller said this in a mental wellness letter, we're all broken in our own way and we have to accept that. Right. But we can't be disabled by it to where we can't move forward. And this, there's something about 
I, I have a hard time. Like, why do babies die? Why did 9-11 happen? Why, why are their friends missing? Why, 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 why? And, I, and it's, it's driven me to the point of, of craziness or what people call me crazy before. But sometimes, and I've accepted this, sometimes I feel like the only reason why I even have went through things or other people have went through things, it might just be the only reason is to share it with someone else, as you're just saying. There's something about the the tribe and the passing on. And human beings can't do shit by themselves, by the way. Like nothing in history has ever been accomplished by a, a single human being by themselves. Like we need people and humans need each other. So it's like take your mess, make it a message and share it with others. And it's okay not to be okay, man. Like we're like you said, we're trying to fucking figure it out. Um, and sometimes you take two steps forward and one step back. But like you said in the beginning, man, you got to keep moving forward. And I see you doing that. And And the purpose that you speak of, do you just find that with now being in, in police work and serving your community to protect and serve them? Uh, that's part of it, but right. you know, I'm a firm believer in never being too attached to any one identity. I like, you know, y'all heard that. Don't be a too attached to one identity. That's so being a police officer, that's just one platform I have to, to help people or to better myself or to serve people. But if I wasn't doing that, I'd find some other way to do it. And I think, um, Law enforcement is is a great profession. It's a noble profession. It's a lot of parallels to the military as far as camaraderie and taking care of each other and just kind of being on the front lines of certain things. But if you're looking for that career or any career or whatever it is, military, anything, to give you that sense of purpose and fulfillment all the time, you're going to run into problems because you're going to hit roadblocks where – it's not what you might've thought it was, or you get wronged in some way that you think you've been wronged. And now you get sour about it and it's, you lose sight of what it is. And if you're relying on any job to give you happiness, you're, it's not a good thing. And it's, uh, you gotta, you gotta have other things in your life and you gotta have other things to your personality and, and be constantly assessing yourself and growing too. And, that was one of the biggest challenges I had when I got out of the Marines was detaching from that ego of being a Marine, of being this, you know, hyper-masculine type thing where you don't want to admit anything's wrong. And, you know, it took me a long time, probably till I was, I don't know, 30 years old, if I were to say, and I got out when I was 23 to start looking at myself as the problem uh, to be like, okay, these reoccurring themes keep happening. What's the central uh, piece of this that isn't changing? Yeah. And I said, it's me. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Maybe you're insane. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and they say, if you find an asshole everywhere you go, then you got to start looking at yourself too. <laughs> that's, that's facts, man. And, and I love, I, I didn't see that up. That's just an organic thing that came out of our conversation in the flow. It's so important. And it's kind of to the thing of the perfection with, you can't just have, and you know, the honorable Mr. Reagan, when he came down to Paris Island in the eighties, he said in front of audience <laughs> Marines, you know, people go their whole lives wondering if they made a difference. Marines don't have that problem. And I'll argue that people, all humans have that problem. I think Marines is maybe especially or more or just as much. We got to continue to feel like we're being tapped into other things. And it can't just be one thing, y'all. You heard this man say that. It can't just be one thing as your identity because there are going to be those days where it's just not as fulfilling. So then what? Are you just going to downward spiral because it wasn't all that you expected it to be or it wasn't all that was in the recruiting commercial? Like we have to take some personal, you know, another great Mustang out there, Jocko Wilnick, extreme ownership and own our shit. And, and tap into other things that can help us uh, have what I call as healthy outlets. Um, well, I mean, Absolutely. You call, it? You know, you call it hobbies, call it whatever, but <clears throat> healthy distractions, man. what you say about that, brother? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and one thing too, I did my, I, I noticed about myself and a lot of other veterans too, especially ones who had um, been deployed. 
you get this attitude that, oh, they don't understand. Yeah. Meaning the civilians, they don't understand right. college kids. They don't understand. They don't understand. They don't know what it's like. It's like, okay, well maybe they want to know what it's like. You're just not telling them. You're putting yourself yeah. in this alienated cult almost because you're saying no one knows what it's like, but these people, they might want to know very badly. They're just afraid to approach you. And they hear you talking in this, you know, language that's specific to the Marine Corps or with the army or whatever that no one else knows, but people who are in it. And you're creating that divide that doesn't need to be there. People might want to know about this stuff and they're not going to know unless you don't tell them. And to have that mentality of a us versus them, like, you know, you either saw combat or you didn't, it's just silly because not everyone has the same path in life. And it doesn't mean someone else's life is any less uh, impactful than yours just because you did this one thing that you volunteered to do, you know? So you you see that with a lot of veterans I've noticed too, is that, you know, they can't, I don't want to say let go of their military time, but it's like they don't move past it. They're just mm. – everything is about that. They're talking about the military, this, the military, that. And then you know they might have only done four years and it's like, all right, well, if you're this passionate about the military, why don't you just stay in? <laughs> you know, you got yeah. out and yeah. now you're kind of turning yourself into this almost professional victim that's like going on about the military, this, the military, that. And it's just – you know, people do that with everything in life in a lot of ways if – um if they don't have something to tell people is wrong with them, then it's almost like they don't have something to talk about. Like they live in this state of professional victimhood and it it's, they're afraid to conquer it because then they'll lose that identity of having that thing. Man, and that's, that's so a, spot on. that's a, um, a place that is easy to fall into. And I'm not saying those people are, you know, weak, weak minded or anything like that. I'm just saying that it does happen. And sometimes you can be too close to the forest to see the trees, so to speak, and not realize that's you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that, that, you know, Maslow's hierarchy and these types self actualization, like actually self actualizing and actually reflecting and peeling back the layers of yourself to do that, that self inquiry. And man, you said it so good. You know, what came to mind was Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Like that dude was still stream of consciousness in high school, throwing the ball over the mountain. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and you, you know, we all go to cookouts and stuff. You got that one uncle or that one aunt and all they're still in high school in their head because that was their glory time. Like we got to, you know, use it as part of your resume, as part of who you are, it's part of a chapter, but like that can't be your whole book and you get stuck in that. So we have to, you know, keep moving forward, keep growing. Um, and I, I look at it like we're plants, man. There's a guy named Jason Vale wrote a really good book that helped me with quit quitting drinking a while ago. And he said uh, that we're like plants. Once we stop growing, we only start doing one thing and that's dying. And that's, that's what's true for them. Like once they stop growing, they start dying. So it's like, you know, and there's some other science to it. I've heard Andrew Huberman talk about it in a little bit about making yourself uncomfortable and this mid cingulate cortex thing in your brain that's indicative of people's lifespans and the will to live and the will to meaning. And, you know, talking about Viktor Frankl and, and Nietzsche talking about if you have a why, you'll you'll deal with any fucking how. You'll figure it the fuck out uh, on how to keep pursuing and moving forward. But that's the thing is keep moving forward. Don't be stagnant. A smart guy I know out in Japan told me this. He said, stagnation leads to degradation. Mr. Haas, that's what he said. Stagnation leads. I mean, that's neck tack worthy right there, man. You know what I'm saying? Stagnation, <laughs> old English right there and Courier New or some shit. But stagnation leads to degradation. And I was like, that's some true shit. And I found myself before many a times resting on my laurels, resting on accolades or being stuck in a certain time frame. And like we time don't goes back it goes forward you know what i mean it's good to reflect and be grateful and shit but like you can't be there no more you got to keep moving forward easier said than done by the way 
And for I think sure. a lot of, I think a lot of times it's a defense, you know, a, a defense mechanism for us because in order for me to own that shit, that means I got to look at myself in the mirror and I got to own that shit. That might take some work and some uncomfortable shit. And I got to address some things that I didn't want to address that I buried inside me. Right. Oh yeah. And me saying all that, you know, especially about living in that state of your time in the military, that was me. That was, I'm, I'm saying that from experience. That was That's right. me holding on to it, talking about it, but not letting anybody in to what it meant to me or what I was feeling. And it, it just, that's a hard thing to get past until you, you really kind of acknowledge it. And, you know, and, it, and for me, it comes with distance from it too. You know, all of a sudden 10 years goes by and you're like, wow, I'm still just talking about this one thing that was 10 years ago. Like, what, there's got to be something else in my life that's worth talking about at some point. Right. And, you know, it's, I never want to forget about any of that. And I'm, you know, being a, a Marine and being in a combat zone, all these things is the, the proudest thing I've ever done in my entire life still. And I think it's the greatest privilege I've ever had to be able to do that too. But I've just changed what the context of it in my life is to try to make it into uh, something that's was one part of my life, but I have a lot of other parts of my life that are going to happen and that are going to be just as important as that to me and will complement each other. And, you know, with writing this book, it was just a way for me to almost get some closure on it and get some explanations out there to people that I never maybe had the courage to say it to them, you know, cause I knew, I knew my mom was going to read this book. I knew Nick's family was going to read this book. I knew a lot of people were going to read the book and there was stuff in there that I'd never talked to anybody about. There's stuff I never, you know, read that, shared that journal with anybody. So in a lot of ways, it was very freeing to throw that out there. And, you know, once it was actually released and I realized people were going to read it, it was almost like I was walking around naked a little bit. You felt like, wow, right, this right. is a, this is kind of a lot. Like everyone at my work read it and people, they just, they keep reading it. And I keep, you know, getting people reaching out to me, but it's all been very positive and it made every single um, word of it worth it to me. And then, and now it's one of the the proudest things I've ever done. Just, just to get that out in the world like that. And hopefully it helps somebody else to do the same. I just think it's brilliant to take any kind of pain and do something positive with it. And it is very impactful, man. And I, and I just encourage all of y'all read this. And for those who don't read, um, and I turn off my camera to spare you. So I wouldn't mess up your appetite or anything for the rest of your day. I'm not a very handsome man. So I got a, <laughs> I, got a face, I got a face for radio and shit, but to save on bandwidth, just in case there was any errors in there. But, uh, yeah. for those that don't read, you got any other things in the works to maybe give another version or another platform for this? Cause I think it's going to be eventually a movie one day. I'm just going to call it now, man. I really do think that this could be a sincere introspective look at, an American's time at this time at a crucial time in our history. That's just my scent, but I'm a fan. So I got a bias, right. But are there any other platforms before it becomes a, a critically acclaimed movie um, that, that you're putting it out on? Yeah, I'm work. I'm actually working on the audiobook right now. I'm in the process of recording all that narrating Hell it myself. Yeah. And, and um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really personalize it even more than the book where it's me reading it. And I kind of maybe go into some things more, uh, in depth than I even did in the book that after the fact, I thought, you know, I should have elaborated on that. So this is kind of a chance to do that. And it's also, I'm going to put some exclusive content in it that wasn't in the book, like interviews with other Marines that were um, in Afghanistan at the time and played very crucial roles in this and, you know, get their insight and perspective is just kind of a, an added, uh, a, a more in-depth look at the whole, the whole bigger picture there. So that's something I'm working on right now. And I'm, you know, trying to, 
trying to do it and do it right. And, um, hopefully spread the story as far as I can. And I know audiobooks are a, um, a very popular thing for a lot of people. And I'm just hoping that that'll, that'll spread it even further. That's, that's awesome, man. And cause that just credit to you as well, man, just respect for another veteran because we, like our own truths, our own truths and stuff, but I, I love how you, it's like a, a certain level of tact and courtesy. And it was just almost eloquent the way you put it in the book, when you would speak about certain things that occurred that were away from your position or your particular AO, but that you were aware of. And you obviously know the effects of what occurred, but you were like, that's their story to tell. I wasn't there. And you didn't even try to claim to know you were there. I I just big salute to you without having to try to put it together or, you know, somebody will get in a car accident and they remember what they want to remember. But like to say that I wasn't there, obviously I care, but that's their story to tell. Are those going to be some of the guests that you eventually have on the show? Some of those people that you were connected to that were within your unit, but weren't obviously in your direct position. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the plan is to get those stories out there one way or another, whether it's um, as part of that audio book or, or, you know, through other, um, other means, but that's, that's definitely the plan is I want to have people that were close to that situation and can tell those stories, uh, have the ability to tell them and, you know, give the reader some more insight into it as well. And, you know, on, to go uh, elaborate on your point about me not wanting to tell other people's stories, that was a big part of the decision to do the book only through my perspective in those journal entries too, was I didn't want to misrepresent anybody else. I didn't want to, um, you know, not get things right and disrespect people in their stories and their uh, perceptions of what happened. So I thought the, easy, the, the purest way to do that would be just through my eyes, the things I was directly involved in and what, what, how it affected me. And then, do it through the lens of that journal because that was, you know, I wrote that in real time. So. Right. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was so cool. And I love how, you, how vulnerable you are and real you are in some of them parts where you're just like today sucked. We just kind of sat around. We were waiting to leave here to go there. I'm hot as shit. This is the hottest place I've ever been. I went to the gym and tried to eat and I read a book and then that's like the day. That's like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you, you know, know I mean? all about that. that. That's the real shit. Like, that's the real shit. You know, you see all the commercials and stuff, but like nobody ever shows like a police call, which is where we all line up to pick up trash. You know what I'm saying? No. Like, you put that in there because all of those details matter and and you didn't know that it would grow to this. It's almost, it reminds me a little bit with some of the parts in there. Um, I'm probably talking you up too much, but you know, look at Marcus Aurelius. Like that was, the meditations was his fucking journal. Like he didn't expect anybody, you know what I mean? Like when, when you were writing that, you weren't like, hey, in 15 years, I'm going to write a book and be a police officer and try to use this to help somebody. You were just using a healthy outlet. And I want to ask you about that because I try to stress to people because I used to have this mentality. Um, like maybe I was like a little fake gangster or something like, I won't write anything down cause I don't want no proof. And I'm like, dude, I'm never going to like be Al Capone or some shit. So I might as well just start expressing myself. But there are a lot of people, especially men that are like, I ain't no fucking artist. I ain't writing in no shit, but I try to encourage the outlet of journaling because not only did it help you then, in country and going through things, but all these years later, look what it grew to be. And the more you remembered, the more you remembered, like I'm trying to you could do a sales pitch for anybody out there that wants to fuck that. They're like, I don't journal. I don't do that shit. What would you say to them? Cause sometimes you could just write whatever, right? I, I would say, have you tried it? Would be my first question. Ooh, how about that? And um, if they say no, I'd say, well, then what's the harm? Try it. Give it a shot. You know, write down what you're going through, what you're feeling. Or even if you just want to chronicle your day to see what, uh, what recurring trends in your life are. I mean, that for me, journaling at this age, that's a big part of it is to keep 
almost a running log of my life. And then I can look back on it and be like, okay, well, I've been talking about this same thing now for a year and I haven't done anything to change it. Like at what point do you actually do something about it? Or, you, you know, you can get a snapshot of seeing your life trending in a direction or the other and see how far you've come too. And, you know, I have in the, like this bookshelf behind me here, I have journals down there that are full and I'll just pick one up and go read it in a random date from a random time and be like, wow, I've come a long way since then. Or, oh, wow, I'm still doing that same thing. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta address this. I guess I'm not as, uh, you know, forward moving as I might've thought in that area. Yeah. No, and it's great. all just, it's, it's all just a form of self-reflection. And if you're not doing that, you're just not going to grow. You're not going to, if you think you have it all figured out and you can get by in life on just your own experiences alone, then you're just basically saying, well, I know everything. I don't need any help. You got to self-reflect. You got to read. You got to learn from other people. You got to, it's just an endless amount of, of, um, of work, like, you know, good work. I'm not talking about like, yeah. it's something you don't want to do, but it's, it's just stuff that for me is, is really non-negotiable at this point in my life. And I, I try to translate that into everything. If I'm, everything I do, I try to make it into some sort of growth experience one way or the other, whether it's a negative or positive experience, I'm just trying to catalog it in a way that is moving me forward in life. I mean, shit, we may as well, we're here anyway. Right. And we ain't getting out of this shit alive. So you might as well just try to do your best with what you can. And I, I just think it's, I think it's cool that you can express that. And you, and you obviously seem like a successful person, somebody who is in a good headspace right now talking about routines. Some people, you know, we say, know yourself, seek self-improvement, but it's like, how the fuck do I do that? So journaling is one thing. What's like a day in the life of the author of August two? Oh, I'm sorry, summer 2009. What's the day in the life of you that, that keeps you on your cues? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, right now at work, I've been on day shift for the last year and that's uh 7.30 to 3.30 PM, which is my ideal hour. So I, I get up at 5 AM, go to the gym pretty much every day. And then I deal with all my, you know, work stuff. And then I get off and I, um, I usually read and just kind of chill out or now I've been, my, my, life is really taking a turn with this book where this is my full-time hobby and kind of purpose outside of my main purpose of work. So it's really given me a constant flow of inspiration and thinking, how can I build on this or build on that? Or what can I do to improve this? And so it's put me in a really good flow state, but you know, there's days I have where I'll go to the gym and that's the only positive thing I get in my whole day. It's not like I'm not out there just crushing every single day by any means. I got the same ups and downs as everybody else. And I'm just trying my best. And, you know, some days I win and some days I lose, but it's just part of it. And it's, it could be, uh, it's just a journey. It really is, man. And, but you remind me of, and I'm a, I'm a big Jocko fan, but I always listen to his, his talks and shit. But one thing he says, like, what do you do on the days when you don't feel like it? He's like, I go anyway. And I go through the fucking motions. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I that's definitely true. agree with that. That is one thing Sometimes. that I have really tried to instill in my life is uh, if I have something that I want to do, I'm going to do it no matter what. And most of the time for me, that's the gym. Yeah. You know, I wake up and I'm like, oh, I think I got four hours of sleep. And I'm just like, well, I'm going. Yeah. And then I just, you know, you keep that, you keep that mentality within reason. You got to know when to, you got to know when to slow down too. You can, uh, you can take your foot off the gas without forgetting where it is. You know, you, you can give yourself a break sometimes. That's solid right there. So you can, you can kind of take a little break without getting complacent. You said take yeah. your foot off the gas without, rem- tell the shit again. I'm, I'm dumb, man. I'm, you, you can. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah I got you. We right good, on. we good. Right on. Yeah, yeah, I got you. We good, we good. 
Yeah, I was saying you can take your foot off the gas without uh, forgetting where it is. Meaning, you know, you can give yourself a break. Sometimes taking a break is part of the discipline too. Most definitely. Most definitely. And sometimes just knowing when you need to take that break, right? That's it. You just got to. How about now? We get some audio stuff. Y'all deal with y'all. You know, I don't edit none of this. So y'all going to deal with us in real time because this is life. We're being resilient right now. We're being water, my friends. <laughs> no, I got you. It must have just been skipping or something. Yeah, it's yeah, all good. Got, I think I did a little. Clear. I did a little echo out there, but that's okay. I'm so nice. I got to hear myself twice. How about that? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I got you loud and clear now. <laughs> nah, but that's, that's good though, man. Cause sometimes people just don't know how, you know what I mean? So, Hey, y'all listening right now, if you're going through some stuff, man, like work that shit out, use a healthy outlet, find a healthy vice like journaling or going to the gym. And it doesn't have to be some crazy, like uh hit workout shit, you know, high intensity tactical training and all that shit or whatever the other acronym is for hit. We like to spell it our own way and shit, but like, have something to tap into just going for a fucking walk can make you feel a whole lot fucking better. You know what I mean? And for sure. one, one thing I try to stress, uh, Janet Tang, she just, she just actually left active duty after 20 plus years, um, served honorably, uh, mentor mine, she's chief warrant officer. And she said, and she's always tell everybody make good choices. And so I took that and I was like, MGC make good choices, but also like, if you feel like shit, man, I'm gonna tell you right now, there's something powerful about some MGC and that's move gratitude and connect dog. Like, just move your fucking ass and maybe write down what you're grateful for because I think we all have something to be grateful for on our worst day. Like on our worst day, we're living somebody else's dream. You know what I mean? And you get to appreciate that when you go other places and see what real poverty is and shit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll give you an example. My uh, washing machine just broke and uh, I was pissed about it. You know, I get stressed about shit like that. And I'm telling my friend and I'm like, well, I'm going to go buy one after work. And they go, uh, well, that must be a good position to be in, to be able to just go buy a washing machine on a whim when it broke. I was like, yeah, you're right. Shit. I was looking at that the wrong way. Yeah. It's like having too much food in the fridge. Sometimes you just got to realize that shit, but it's a good problem to have. Yeah. It's it's like, what are we really stressing about here? Yeah. When you really, you know, kind of, and there's those times when, like you said, you have to be hyper-focused. You have to be hyper-focused on the task at hand. And like, you know, the Stoics would say, focus like a Roman type thing. But then there's other times we got to zoom the fuck out and see the bigger picture and go, come on, man. Like, is this really that serious? You know, but that's where the time and judgment and maturity kind of comes into play and trial and error. But also, I did want to ask with the journaling thing, what's your thoughts on, you know, because a lot of us, first time in human history, we're using our thumbs to express ourselves other than giving thumbs up. Um What's your thoughts on, you know, some people be like, oh, I'll keep my shit in my notes. Like, do you, do you gain more value in like longhand or in typing or is it like a, you do a hybrid approach? How, how's it for you in that? What expression? I would say a hybrid approach. I mean, I do a lot of my notes in my phone because when I get something, I don't want to lose it. I wrote a right. lot of that book from writing in my phone, at least the prompt for what I was going to write about. It would come to me and be like, well, I got to get this down right now and then go back and go through it. And I do, I do that a lot. But it's the notes I put in my phone are kind of different than the what I put in my actual physical journal. The notes in my phone are kind of like, if inspiration strikes or I have a good idea, I got to write it down so I don't lose it. The journaling is like more of the the reflection time, and it's where I'm gonna I'm gonna write whatever's going on, whether it's good or bad, and just reflect on it or or whatever, or just get it out, just spill it on the page, just to to get it out, almost like you're having a conversation with yourself in a way. Um, but as far as if there's a um, one's more beneficial or important than the other. No, I think as long as you're writing stuff down, whether it's the notes in your phone or your laptop or a, a physical paper journal, it's, it's all good stuff. 
Healthy outlets, y'all. And I, and, and I I say it again and again, not to beat a dead horse, but somebody might not have been listening. If you ain't said it in 60 days, you ain't said it off. I ain't said it in 60 seconds. I probably ain't said it all because the dullest pencil is sharper than my memory. So I write shit down all the time and I got to. But I need to take note from you because that's a good idea because my wife always gets mad at me. She's like, why are you always fucking carrying around that journal and shit? You look like a fucking weirdo. And I'm like, oh, because I might get a uh, thought or some shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some I, used to, I used to do something similar to that. And then I was like, wait a minute, I could just put this in my phone and then <laughs> I can copy and paste it into uh, my computer yeah. later too so they yeah. both serve their purpose you know it's That's not right. it's not like you're conceding to one thing because you, ch- you you decide to do both it's it's all good stuff that expression that expression and you never know folks like what you can maybe do with it one day the growth that it could bring you or maybe the growth that it could bring somebody else because if you never took that journal dog and you never went back and reread it and shit and didn't do those notes in your phone to prompt things we wouldn't be having this conversation. You wouldn't have wrote that book that's going to help a lot of people and already has. It's helped me, man. It's helped me. And, and and especially with seeing the dark times you went through. And what I really appreciate is that you expressed in there. And I felt this myself. Um, when you had, I don't want to give away the whole book, but you had come home to be there for when Nick had passed. And you talked about the shame and the guilt and I mean, there's shame and guilt, I feel like. I didn't even never go to Afghanistan. And there's times I look at myself like, damn, you piece of shit. How the fuck you didn't go to That's the whole reason why you joined, dumbass. And I'm like, I didn't even fucking go. You know what I mean? Like, I think we all deal with some guilt of like, you know, in there you expressed, I'm away from the fight and they might be still in the fight. You know what I mean? Like, do you mind walking us through that a little bit if you don't mind sharing? No, absolutely. Yeah, that can be in, that can be a tough thing. And, you know, you bring up a good point about you saying you didn't go to Afghanistan, but you wanted to. Um, sometimes not participating in something can be harder than participating in it because if you're participating in it and you're there for it, at least you know what happened. You have some control over what's going on. You have some input on it. But if you're just not there and wishing you were, that's a tough position to be in. And I, I sympathize with a lot of uh, veterans and people in the military, especially now. You know, you look at infantry battalions now, they're not deploying to a war. They're training for one, but there's no war going on and they're chomping at the bit. I mean, you throw a you throw a rock in any direction on O Street on Campbell Jr., you're going to find a Marine infantry platoon that's chomp dying to go to combat. Ready. So, yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> but if they don't, it's not their fault. You know, they were still ready and willing to go just like you were. And it's that can weigh on people more heavily than actually going to combat sometimes. And it took me a long time to have that view on it too, because you always felt like, oh, well, I did this and they didn't do that. And it's just, it's not a good way to look at it. And you know, the, the amount of the military that actually sees combat is so small, too. It takes so much to support just one Marine, one soldier, whatever, on the front line of something that it, it's a very small percentage. And then on top of that, the percentage that are on the front line and actually see combat engage with the enemy is even smaller than that. It really just depends on where you were, when you were there, and what was going on. You know, you could do an entire combat deployment and not see combat just because you weren't present right. for these certain events and that's something that's right. people don't realize it's it's um a very fluid thing that is a, a different experience for everybody but it's it's um can be harder to not be there you know and i talk about that in the book too when i talk about my mom um, that's right I, I was gonna ask about that but when you yeah, about i feel like they're she, doing it she, and she's just over there thinking god knows what right yeah. And I'm there at least controlling some of the situation. She's just imagining the worst at all times. And I, I felt like she went through way more on that deployment than I did. Cause at least I was in control of some things. I knew what was going on. I, you know, she had nothing but time to sit there and imagine worst case scenarios all the time. So that's, um, I, I think when anyone deploys, especially to a place that's dangerous, 
the people they leave behind go through almost more than the person who deploys does. Yeah, you're very uh, you're very thoughtful and compassionate in that. And then the tribute that you pay to all of the families that, you know, people that are married and have kids back and and just the unselfish perspective that you have of that. And again, my thoughts on that whole. Well, not again, but just to clarify, knowing the cost of these things, like I think we all and you allude to it in the book, too, that like you feel that all wars are civil wars. And that it takes that young mind because now maybe you're, that's not to say you wouldn't, but as enlightened as you are and the value of human life you have, you may not have, you may not react this with the same eagerness to be in that. And I'm be honest with you, for me, I'm like praying for peace. Uh, I'll be ready for war, but I don't want to see a war because you obviously know the cost of it. And, and you look back and you can't ever equate because what you said that matters so much to me in there was where you said, no matter what the outcome was, no matter if people want to sit back and go, oh, this or that, or that war is for this or whatever, the outcome was there was young men and women that were willing to do it, and they did it when they were called. And and that is that is service. That is unselfishness. That is that is honor right there, you know? And and you did a great job of, of expressing that in the book because we can't control what we can't control. So, Yeah, and I, and I just wanted to show that my story is just one of hundreds of thousands that are waiting to be told or have been told and people just don't know about them. You know, everybody who is involved in that 20 years of the global war on terrorism has a story and has a, a version of uh, what it meant to them and their experiences. And it was a very different conflict in the sense that it wasn't in people's faces for most of it. You know, it That's was, right. The first five, six years probably were when we invaded Afghanistan and then we invaded Iraq and you had the battles of Fallujah and all these these big ones that kind of became household names. But in the midst of all that, there was a lot of other major battles that people have no idea about and have never heard about and probably never will hear about unless veterans tell their story about their involvement in it. And that's why in the book, when I talk about Nick being killed and other people being injured by IEDs or killed, you know, I say it happened on a dusty dirt road in a city that you've probably never heard of and probably never will hear of unless you were directly tied to the events of that summer. And that's the truth. And it's so not real. because people don't want to know or don't care. They just, they're not going to know unless we tell them. And that that's was a big true. goal of the story was to, Hey, let people know that these young men did this at this time. That's right. And it affected a lot of other people too. And no, you know, none of us are looking for any sort of thank you or, or gratitude. We just, just simply want you to know that this is what was going on for 20 years. Well, America was involved in these things, but it was really only a very small part of America. The people volunteered to go and everyone else kind of just, you know, it was on the news once in a while. And it was like, Oh, that thing's still going on Afghanistan. That's crazy. That's so true. And, and it's, That's... and I, I, in a lot of ways, I, I blame the government in that, in the media for not, advertising it in a more patriotic way. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I don't know. I don't really have too strong of an opinion on it because I don't know what the move there is as far yeah. as how you're going to advertise a war, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's, anyway. it's a very different kind of conflict too, in the sense that we weren't fighting a traditional enemy for the majority of it. And it turned into um, a very confusing, complex situation that had a lot of uh, ups and downs and, different years that were more violent or dangerous than other years. And there was lulls where it seemed like the situation was stabilized and then it would heat back up. And it's just, there's a lot to it. No. And, and, and you explained that I think for a whole generation of those who served in the last 20 years or were obviously around for OIF or OEF or any of the global war on terrorism, because it was so you different from 
the past conflicts or what we see in movies and maybe the stories we do hear and that we do see because we don't know what we don't know as well. But like you did such a great job of describing the vulnerability that you feel and just where is the next hit coming from? I don't know. I remember being over there and writing a poem one time on a convoy and like, Lord, not tonight under my tire. Like that's what I'm looking out for. And then as you describe in there, boom, bang happens and then nothing. There's no contact after that. There's no nothing. It's just like you said, somebody was digging the night before and then they're watching from a safe distance. If they're even awake right now, they're probably sleeping. And obviously this chaos of destruction and, and you know, violence occurred, but then there's no like contact right. And now we're going to engage the enemy. It's just, let's clean this up. And it's, it, it's something that's unique to the, to where we are right now uh, or where we were at that time and that conflict and, and the, the methods of the enemy, because they, I've said this before and they'll agree to it too. They couldn't fight us head to head with, you know, we just was going to fuck them up. And they learned, and you described that in the book, they learned that real quick. So it's like mortar fire and direct fire. And then IEDs obviously were, were the main culprit of so much destruction and chaos and pain. Yeah. And I, I, I think back on that whole situation too. And there was a period where they did try to fight with us toe to toe. And it's pretty, pretty ballsy when you think about it, you know, you got a company of Marines and armored vehicles and all these assets and they are even thinking they might be able to get into a firefight with us is, is pretty wild. And uh, you know, it didn't turn out well for many of the times and there's no scenario where it was going to, but it's just, it's an interesting thing to, to look, to look back on and think like, how would you even think that was a good idea? And, you know, apparently they, they learned from it pretty quick and decided that the route to do the route to go was to just bury these IEDs and inflict casualties that way. And the psychological warfare that comes with that too, is a, is a whole serious aspect of that, of that conflict. No, it is. Cause like at any point at any time, and it's, you don't see it coming and it's just, it, it just, you know, you can't stay in that anxious state of, you know, every tire roll when you're drawing, driving on a convoy for how long in the middle of nowhere. And like you said, it's just a dusty road. It, it, that That's torment on the mind, man. That's torment on the mind. And, and like you said, we all need a little bit of healthy anxiety. Like it's living is anxiety, but living like that is just on a whole nother level, man. It's, it's yeah. And level. you're at the time, you know, you're mostly kids too. And you can kind of compartmentalize things pretty quick as a kid. Like something happens, then the next day you're just smoking and joking and kind of not pretending it didn't, but going on with your life and um, just dealing with what's directly in front of you. For anyone out there, man, um, for anyone out there that, that hasn't had their journal experience, that hasn't had their summer 2009 writing, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, that hasn't processed or tried to work through it what would you say to those individuals that are still suffering day to day with, with the pain that they're keeping inside? And that's not just a military question. That's, that's a question of any trauma. What, what would be, because you've been able to be made not whole, not perfect, but better through this process. What would you encourage them? What would you say to them? I would say get help. And I know that sounds like a very broad statement, but that can mean a lot of things for a lot of different people. That could be even just talking to a friend and just unloading it on them. And then all of a sudden it's not this huge burden that's on your back anymore. And you, you have someone just listen to you for a little while. Or if you have uh, friends that it was a shared experience with, get together and talk to them and just, just get it out. Um, seeking professional help, that, that's a big thing. I, I had a counselor with the VA for 13, 14 years, two different counselors. I had one that I saw uh, just about weekly for 10 years who became a, a good friend of mine. And then I had another one for 
13, almost 14 years that I saw monthly that was, um, he was a colonel in the army and he eventually retired. And both these people just became close friends of mine where, you know, I went into it all guarded initially and just sat there all uncomfortable and, you know, gave one word answers or whatever. But as time went on and you built a relationship and you start talking about the things you have in common, those walls came down. Then all of a sudden it was like, you had the ability to let this stuff out and it really, it changed my life a lot. And I think anybody who's even contemplated going to any kind of therapy or counseling really should take the leap and, and do it because talking to other human beings about our problems and getting a um, unbiased and objective look on it is one of the most helpful things you can possibly do because sometimes you just get too close to the forest to see the trees. Like you're just too wrapped up in your own problems and in your own head to see that there's any other way to look at it. And sometimes the solution can be so simple too. And you're just like, how did I not see that? And it takes someone else telling you that, you know, they might, they might solve a problem you've had for years in one sentence and say, you know, did you ever think about this? And then all of a sudden it puts a light bulb in your brain where you're like, Oh my God, I didn't. And now you're on a path to getting better. But it, it, you know, if you have that stubbornness in you where you think that getting help is weak or going to therapy is weak or whatever, then it's, that's something you really got to get past. And it takes people who have done that to share that it works to try to get other people to do it too. You know, somebody sees someone who's a strong, confident individual and they go, Hey, listen, I go to therapy. Well, I don't see what's so funny about it. I don't think it's weak. Then all of a sudden they're like, Oh wow, I was looking at this wrong the whole time. Like I had this wrong. And then they try. And then the culture shifts from being this, you know, don't show any weakness to no, I'm going to address this shit so I can help someone else who's dealing with the same stuff. And that's yeah. kind of where the, the turning point can come into play is when that, that mindset shifts. And that, I think that comes with, with age too. And, you know, I'm still young, but it took me a long time to realize that. And if someone, if, if the person I am now met the person I was when I was 23 and said these things to him, it would have made a profound difference in my life. And it would have, uh, you know, who knows what, what a path it would have set me on. You got to go through things to, to learn and to grow, but it would have made a very big difference. And I think that that's um, one of the, the most important aspects of getting help is to put yourself in a position to help other people. There's something there, man. And, and, you know, I, I've often quoted the man, uh, but Dr. Victor Frankel, you know, everybody I always asks a group of people when I do any kind of talks or anything, I say, who wants to be happy? Who wants to be successful? People raise their hands. Of course, we all want to be happy. We want to be successful. But Dr. Victor Frankel, man, survived five fucking concentration camps, said exactly what you just said, man, about helping others. And he says, for success, like happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. Like it can't be pursued in and of itself. You can't pursue happiness. It's got to ensue and come as a result of what I feel like you just described, which is taking something and sharing it with someone else, man. Because one of my favorite parts of the book that you say, um, because I'm a big Jim Carrey fan and I, and I just, I gotta, I gotta keep my tank full. Right. Cause so often we, we drive the car until we never drive our car until it actually runs out of gas on purpose. Like you don't do that shit, but we as humans do that shit. And especially as Americans and especially as veterans and stuff, we'll drive until we just we're on E and now it's an emergency. Right. But oh, yeah. he said, he said, so I got to brainwash myself with shit. You know what I mean? But the thing that Jim Carrey said was that the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. And in that spirit, when you say on the, in the book towards, towards the end of it, you say, all I want to be, all I want is to be someone that people can look up to and be proud to have as a son, 
brother or friend. That shit hit me so much, man, because I think that's so many, whether they could put it in those words like that or not, like that's what we're searching for. Like, and that's the effect that you have on others, man. Um, and I just, I appreciate you sharing that, man, for real. I appreciate you saying that, Kim. It means, it means a lot. And it means a lot how much you've really, you know, it, it, it means a lot that you read my book and it means a lot that you've really looked at it and analyzed it too. In the same way you've looked at a book like uh, Man's Search for Me by Viktor Frankl, which is one of my favorite books ever written. And I, I look at that book often to get perspectives Amen. on life. I mean, that's, that's the fact that man wrote that in 1946, the year after being out of Auschwitz, he didn't write it. 30 years later, 40 years later, he wrote it. Right. It was fresh as could, fresh could be. And he still had that outlook. And I remember in that book, you know, you talk about resilience. There was a part where he says, you know, picking up a gun to go fight against a cause that you find worthy is courageous, but it's an easy thing to do compared to being in a situation that you have no control over and holding your head high, like being told you have to march to a, a, a pit where someone's going to shoot you in the head with your whole family and still maintaining your dignity and moving forward, you know, and he's saying it's, if you have a cause worth fighting for, it's, you can be roused and eat. It's, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's understandable. But when you're in a situation when you have no control over it and you're just at the absolute breaking point and you still hold your head high with dignity and go do something on your terms, that's to hear, to read somebody say that after going through what he went through was really put a lot of things in perspective in my life really made me um, analyze what being courageous really means for real. No, that's, that's no lie. And, and I think what you said earlier about having that example of someone share their experience and someone you look up to, look, I'm telling y'all, and I told y'all again, look at this book, wait, the audible is going to come out soon. Look into it because you're a humble guy, but you're a strong dude, man. And you're actual like to the definition and Nick was as well of a fucking warrior. Right. And, and all, even like the stereotypes of what a warrior is, you've done that. You've been that you are that in your community as a police officer. And you're sitting here saying, Hey, um, you know, to hold it all together when it's out of your control, that's strength. And then also saying that to seek help is not weak. And actually it's a pretty smart thing to do because you're a better version of you. You just don't know how that's going to echo. And that's why I do these recordings because I want people to know that it's okay not to be okay. And we don't always control everything, but as Victor Frankl said as well, between that stimulus and that response lies our freedom between the thing that occurs to us that we can't control, but we can control how we respond, man. And I just high amount of respect for you and how you've responded to the, the trauma of, of the life that you've led and the sacrifices you've made to keep us all safe. Because I feel like this country remains intact and remains protected because broken people protect it. And there's a lot of us and we're all broken in our own way. I appreciate that. I really do. And I think what you're doing is a great thing getting out here and spreading this message. And, you know, you obviously take it very seriously and you're, you're, uh, you, you strike me as a lifelong learner and that's what we should all be. You don't just go through phases where you, you read one book, excuse me, or, um, you know, you, you get on some fad or something. It, it's a, it's a constant it's a constant body of work that needs to, to be worked on. And it's, um, it's something you're clearly doing. So it's, you're a very motivating guy to, to listen to. And you're very well-spoken too with all the stuff you have. So I really appreciate everything you're saying. Nah, man, I appreciate you. And thank you for saying that as well. Cause some days I just got to go through the fuck emotions too. And you know, I get vulnerable in here and share it. That it ain't all peaches and King. And it's not like some fucking Rocky speech every day. You know what I mean? Um, 
But, you know, it's it's almost like I always quote to Epictetus, you know, these are those moments right now, folks, while we're listening, you know, we're in that comfortable state, you know, that good lukewarm state, whatever it is. And it's like, he says, as each hardship comes, what I want to say is each hardship comes. I was practicing for this. I was training for this. And I feel like in hearing your story and reading the book and taking the time to refine yourself and to continue to grow, you're practicing because the hard times, it's not if, but when will they strike us? Um, but I think to not try to take heed to it or to not try to grow from it, man, I I think we're not serving those who have gone before us and have sacrificed for us. So it's like, if nothing else, honor them, allow them to live through us as best you can. I remember my brother got killed and uh, my older brother, he's he's kind of hefty. I hope he hears this shit too. And he's, uh, they're, from, they're from Manchester, from Manch Vegas and shit. And at the funeral, it was like, we got to let them live through us, man. We got to let them live through us talking about the eulogy. And then we got to Nana's house and my brother was fucking crushing some sandwiches. And I was like, bro, like we said live for him. Like you ain't got to eat for the motherfucker too. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, but but uh, but uh, to, to not take advantage of this, man, um, the life that we have, to not try to make it better for not maybe you, but maybe for somebody else, I, I think it's uh, – it's not going to, it's not going to make you feel no better. We're here anyway. We might as well make the best of it. So that's just, yeah. And at the end of the day, we're all just trying our best. You, me, everybody else. I mean, I got plenty of bad days. Trust me. I'm just, fuck yeah. it's, it's not, uh, it's not all it's an easy journey for anybody. And it, uh, the world, it all sunshine and rainbows. It's a big dirty play. I ain't going to do the whole monologue, but you know, this the wrong thing. Keep you there if you let it. But you got to keep moving forward, you know, and that's how what that's, that's how what it is done. That's how what it is done. <laughs> um, hey, brother. Um, yeah, no, and that's a fact. That's a fact. It really is, man. And I, in closing, because I hope this isn't the last time we have a conversation, uh, whether it's no, on it record or not. And if any thoughts come to you, man, and you want to get back on here, man, please, I, I, I welcome it because we can all learn something from a warrior like you. And, and thank you for being so humble and so committed to making yourself better, this world better. And and look, you got the Liberty Bell right there on your arm. I just saw it. You know what I mean? Defending our freedom. Um, it ain't perfect, but God damn it, it's worth it. That's how I look at it. You know what I'm saying? Um, thank you for that. Absolutely. Anybody out thank- there? I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say thank you, Ken. It's been a pleasure to, to be on here and talk to you. I appreciate you, man. I, I'm not a professional. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm a shitty ass interviewer, but what I want is to have a real conversation about real shit. Cause I think that's the only way we're ever going to make real progress on any of these topics at hand. And, uh, why not take it from a real fellow like you and learn from it and apply it and honor those, honor, honor Nick, honor all of them that went before us, uh, that have sacrificed for us to have what we have. Cause you know, in other places in the world, you can't have no free conversations like this. So, you know, first world problems, we better appreciate it. You know what I mean? Uh, that's right. For anybody out there thinking about making a permanent decision, man, over temporary circumstances, and I'm talking about thinking about hurting themselves or others uh, because of the pain. And most people don't hurt themselves because they want to hurt themselves and prove a point. Most people hurt themselves because they want the pain to end. And I can speak from experience with that. They don't want to be a burden to others. If there's anything you could say to them on the front end of it, man, what would you want to say to them before they make a permanent choice over their pain? I would say that remember all the people that are going to get hurt by that decision and that uh, life is a beautiful thing. And uh, the ups and the downs are part of the journey. And when you're down, it's, you just got to get help from somebody. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you can get out of it and then be in a position to help somebody else. Fuck yeah, man. You heard that? Help somebody else. Unselfishness. Go external, y'all. That's what it's all about, man. And and Hazes just said, and thank you for saying that. Your pain may end, but just know this, my friend, everyone else's begins. 
everyone else's begins and it never goes away. And and if you know you lost somebody in that way, man, they never get away. And and no matter rational mind or whatever, they will always question what could they have done differently. So don't put that on somebody else, man. Get your shit worked out. Own your shit. Reach out. Speak up. People don't know what they don't know. We just don't. And we may not know that you're hurting. So help us help you is what I'm saying to anybody out there listening. Andrew Coville, man, the author of Summer 2009. Thank you, man, for your time and for your perspective and for just sharing with us tonight, man. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. But we'll do this again soon. I look forward to it. I appreciate you, man. Hey, y'all be on the lookout for that audible version. And I'm telling you right now, summer 2009, Andrew Colville, right? Charlie, Oscar, Victor, India, Lima, Lima, Echo is how you spell his name. Look that up, man. Look, I'm telling you, it's only going to make you better. Andrew, I appreciate you, brother. You be good, man. And all y'all out there, good or bad, this too shall pass. Make good choices. And as always, I say, and I sing it like he sweat, we are sponsored by Nobody, baby. Thank you all. Appreciate you. Thank <laughs> you.